Hello and welcome to Spell Your Business. I'm Kate and today we have the absolute pleasure of going full circle in my career back to Leeds to join Uva Indergaard. Welcome, Uva. Thanks, Kate. Thanks for having me on. So you're in Leeds, which is exactly where my physio career began. And you're not too far from where I used to work as a junior physio. And I believe when we talked about the timelines, we were there at the same time, but just didn't cross each other's paths. Yeah, but exactly. It's quite crazy really how small the world can be. Uh, so you've got a very interesting journey from going to being a young man who was physically active, enjoying sports, to now being a very serious business owner. And many physicians <laughs> and clinic owners might listen to your story with absolute wonder, but have no idea or no confidence about where to begin. So can you just start off by explaining to the listeners, Uber? Take us back to 17-year-old you. How did you end up, how did this journey even begin? Well, I, you know, I, I can start by the, going to the end. I, personally, I don't think I'm any different to any other business owner out there. You know, the journey that I've been on is very similar to many physical clinic owners. But when I, when I first started out, like, you know, I was about 15, 16, and, and I wanted to be a physiotherapist. You know, that was one. I sat down with my mum and decided upon the things that I was going to be interested in and look for a profession. And there was a few bits banded about, but then, you know, we, we landed on physiotherapy would be a great career path. And I've had physio myself beforehand, so I was kind of aware of the profession. I was kind of mesmerized by the anatomy knowledge and the function of the human body, you know, all these things that that sprout this interest in in in, in doing what we do. And um, so I went to my guidance counsellor and I was, you know, I was doing quite well at school, um, never had any problems really to, to, to speak of. And... I was one of the better people in my class, but in Norway, there's only four physio schools that you can actually go in and, and study at, or you could at the time, and you had to have a better than uh, the top average. So we had on points averages, and six is the equivalent of an A star over here, and you'd have over 27 subjects over three years, have to have more than sixes in everything, and you actually needed to have a theoretical higher points than that. So it was 6.3 or 6.5, I think it was to get into physio school. Um, and the, you can only do that by then getting extra credits after you graduated. But, you know, to get an A-star in all 27 subjects, that is such a national event that it makes the headlines in newspapers. Um, and there's probably three or four people every year that maybe do that in the whole country. So it's incredibly difficult to get into physio school. Um, so, but yeah, I went to my guidance counselor and she laughed at me. Um, and probably because of those reasons, and I don't think she was fully aware that there were other avenues of becoming a physiotherapist. Um, so I finished my course and um, started applying in other countries. And lo and behold, I ended up landing in Bradford here in West Yorkshire um, and did my undergraduate at Bradford University. Um, so that's kind of how I got then um, thrust into, into Yorkshire. Um, and that was an experience in, in, in itself, I think, an experience I loved a lot because of the people that I was with and the, and, and then environment that I was in the physio school and everything. Um, and then when I left there, I ended up then going into a private hospital. And I was only ever going to stay there for a year um, because I was going back to Norway. I was planning on moving back to Norway after my degree, but I wanted to have this experience um, working with some of the top uh, groin and, and knee surgeons in the country um, and working in their sports clinic. And so I did that. Uh, while I was there, I was offered to do my master's degree for free. Um, and a year later, while I was in the middle of this, I ended up working in elite sport. Um, so I applied for a job 
and got rung up one day and ended up working for the British judo team. So I spent six years working my way through just about every team that they had from the junior men up to looking after the judos and the senior women and the senior men team, um, going to world championships and European championships and the World Cups all over the, all over Europe and, and the world, really, which uh, was really exciting. Um, other highlights in that period, I, I, I helped out with um, the university games um, and the British athletics in terms of uh, their uh, college um, stuff and, and the university stuff. Um, so, yes, yeah, so, but after about six or eight years of doing all of that, I, I kind of got a bit tired of all the traveling and seeing the hotel rooms and seeing the back rooms of, of venues and things and knew that my time was slowly coming to an end. Um, but in the middle of all this, you know, I, I eventually left this part of the hospital I was working in um, and ended up setting up, uh, up on my own, uh, set up a small clinic, um, just out of need, really, needed to make some money, didn't really want to work in the part of the hospital anymore. Um, and that was the sprouts of this clinic that I'm currently sat in. So that was 20 years ago. And so I hybrid worked uh, between uh, every weekend traveling somewhere in the world to um, Tuesday to Thursday working within my clinic um, and did that for a couple of years. And like I said, it, it kind of, a few things happened. One, met my wife, um, didn't really want to be away from her too much. Um, and then also getting a little bit tired of all the traveling and then the focus then started on growing the business a little bit more so that it would sustain me full time and, and see where it went from there. I understand it's quite daunting from listening to others that have worked in the elite sport, actually walking away from it <laughs> and having the confidence to sort of leave one institution, not for another institution, but for doing something independently. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, at the time um, it, it felt like a natural decision for me. So and because I already had my clinical running alongside it for a year, year and a half, probably, um, it didn't really feel like a, a big decision. Um, I was ready to leave, but, you know, probably for the next next couple of years, I'll probably miss the team environment more, um, where I kind of, you know, so used to working with these people and doing things on a on a daily basis with them and then I'm changing that to to something completely different. Um, obviously, a lot less traveling and things like that. So, you know, I've been there, been there and seen the world because of it. I've seen the pyramids, I've seen the Great Wall, I've seen Japan, you know, all because of sport, really, you know. So um, there are a lot of positives with that too. But you do work hard, you know, that's that's the, that's the thing. You do work hard and you travel a lot. So it isn't, it isn't an easy gig, for sure. So for somebody who is currently working in elite sports, I hear this quite a bit with especially people that have been working in football, where I guess they're owned by one club, so they're essentially employed. They're hmm. nervous about stepping out. And I listen, and I think as a listener, hang on a minute, it's far more scary to know that you're on TV on a Saturday afternoon and what you do could be judged by the nation. <laughs> <laughs> we'll all have an opinion. And it is such yeah. a business. Yeah, I mean, from an outside point of view, football is is a little bit different to what I was doing. But you know, it's it's uh, they do own you a little bit when you when you are working for them. So you know, you get your international breaks up, I think, and you get your break in between the the, the seasons before preseason starts. And apart from that, you are pretty much on call with them. Um, and I think that's quite hard. So when you're working in that environment and and you want out of that, that could probably feel scary. I can see that. Um, but you know, like I I think there's. Depends completely on people's interests, you know. Like, yeah, I think with certainly the people that work in our clinic, we we look for what they're actually burning to do, what they desire and the passions are, and we try to um, nurture that. And then we try to kind of create an environment where 
they actually get to fulfill those goals. And I think for somebody working in football, they have to kind of be honest with themselves a little bit and, and you know, ask themselves some hard questions. Where do I want to be? What do I want to do? What kind of physio do I want to be? And, and it may be that, you know, going independent is not the right thing for them. It might be that working for somebody else with a good environment or something, or they might even want to go into the NHS. You, you know, you don't know what their desires are and, and, and their needs are and, and uh, you know, where their passions lie, really. I think that's the key thing. Mm. So you are able to start up two, two, three days a week and then jump from, well, you'd already, you weren't having to do such a jump because you already created your own clinic. You'd already identified some space and you'd already got some clients coming to you. What you just needed to do was make sure that there was a multiple on that that would cover uh, your, <laughs> your living costs and enable you to leave, leave sport. Sorry. Let me, let me talk you through my first days of setting up a clinic. So I, I borrowed £2,000. Um, I bought a treatment bed. Um, I did actually have um, an ultrasound machine <laughs> back in the day um, and some massage gel and some tape. That's pretty much all I did. Um, but what I did was I started bringing it around. I kind of I created a map of leads. I didn't create it. I bought a map of leads, but I plotted on there every single private clinic I was um, running at the time in Leeds. And I saw a big gap on the east of Leeds. And I went, hmm, I know this place there because I've got some friends that live there. And I went, let me start there. There's no private provision on this side of Leeds. Um, so I, I rang around and I somebody answered my phone call. It was a dental practice. And, uh, you know, and said, well, we might be interested. And I said, well, I'm looking for a room. I just need a room. You know, I want to share your reception. And I want to just start a physio clinic. And they went, okay, let's, let's do it. And so they got rid of their staff room to enable me to have my clinic room. And so for the first year of, of my existence, I worked inside a dental practice, hiring their essential staff room um, to run my clinic out of. So I had my treatment bed, a desk, and that was pretty much it. Um, a year later, the, the room below in the same building became available. And, and then I moved in there. Um, and then suddenly I had two treatment rooms. Um, and a little bit more space for reception. And yeah, things just, just started to flow a bit more. Um, I had a friend from university who then came and helped me out a little bit. She started off covering a little bit of my holidays. Then she started doing some part-time evening work till she then became part-time 50% of the time in my clinic. And that was kind of the, the beginning journey. And I was just from, from starting something, I used to go and leaflet between patients. So I grabbed 500 leaflets and knew I could get them out in about two hours. But after that, the next day, I will get two to three phone calls consistently from doing those leaflet deliveries. And that's what I did. And that's how I built my client base up from absolutely nothing. Uh, that and, and uh, you know, you have the pages up, um, which is crazy these days. You wouldn't do that. What I wanted to highlight to the listeners there, Obi, was what you described about doing a, a map. I did exactly the same. Absolutely exactly. I probably still got it somewhere on my laptop, but I did exactly the same. Got a map, plotted all the other clinics in the area, in the county, actually, or in the south of the county I was in, and actually I put the population and I put the population of each town so I could work out what the uh, ratio was of physio availability per head. Spotted the white space. Yeah. Both did exactly the same. So if you're thinking of setting up a clinic, go get your map out and find that white space. Yeah. You know, we now have three physio clinics within a mile from here. Yeah. So, the, the, you know, the competition has changed, but 
you know, in terms of back then, it was a lot easier, I think. <laughs> so are you still in the same building? Are the dentists still upstairs from you? Uh, no, uh, we we left. Um, so, you know, we had a conversation before this about, you know, some of the events that happened within, within clinic life. And my landlord basically turned to me and said, we want your space back. Um, I think that was about six years ago. Um, and so then suddenly I was panic station. So she was like, I want you out in six months. I was like, no. I mean, back then you'd have to have planning permission for changing, moving your physical clinic anywhere. And that can take three months. So that gave me literally just three months to find a space that was suitable. And I've been looking for years to find something that I could move into that was bigger and better um, and failed. So I just, I negotiated hard and I managed to get to the end of the year, which was 11 months. Um, and we scraped by in about 10 months. We moved in on the 10th month um, with just a few weeks to spare. And, and so we moved into then what became our own space. We actually bought the the shop um, from a greengrocer who was shutting down because of lack of trade. Um, and then developed that. We then had two treatment rooms and a gym, um, which then became three treatment rooms and no gym. We put an extension onto it to build the gym again, which then um, became four treatment rooms and no gym. And then we actually took over the building next to it as well. So now we have five treatment rooms and a huge gym. It's huge in our terms, big, bigger gym than we had and a staff room. Um, so it, it's, it's worked out really, really well. And so that's been us for the last six years, that journey from going from that same building we were in to where we are now. Um, and in, and in that time, you know, we've, we've over tripled our revenue, um, and it's, it's gone really, really well. Um, it's surprising to me because when I thought we were going to move here, it's, um, it's set on a, on a residential estate, but it's like one of these ropes of shops with five shops in it that's supposed to help that estate. Um, and I thought, well, there's a bus route here. It's easy to get to and there's free parking, but I'm kind of more of a destination place and people would come here anyway. And then we realized that we actually, because we were more visible here, people started to see us and people walking in every single day. Can we book in? Can we book in? Can we book in? And, and that made a huge difference. Um, and so then, yeah, that's when, kind of started to to think well maybe we need to do a little bit more here because we got really really busy and, and in the middle of all that another life event happened so i managed to injure my hip doing some little olympic uh, weight just there um and so it's a previous issue uh, that i've had rear his head a couple of times through my sporting career but i had an fai i had a cam lesion in my hip um which had then bashed into my hip and created a crack in my acetabulum um so that wasn't so fun but um it, it then needed me to have surgery. And I started thinking about the time off that they were requiring after surgery. Um, and I realized that if I actually left the clinic for two months, that was they wanted me to have the time off. I kind of was, I was worried that I would actually have a clinic to come back to. And that was quite hard for me to, to, to think about. And I thought, well, I've got a young family. I need to support them. I can't do this. And so that, that then started my thinking of, I actually need to do more than just have a couple of part-time physios working with me. I need to put some systems in place. I need to have actual staff that can help me nurture my patients better and then grow it from there so that there would be some sustainability in, in the, the, the clinic, in the business. And it wasn't just reliant on just my income to, to keep the bills paid and, and keep my house paid, paid for and things like that. So that, that, that was the kind of the, the epiphany. And um, I didn't have the two months off. Um, I, I was back clinically after about two and a half weeks, 
um, which for good and for bad, it worked. Um, I managed it through working part-time and taking rests and lots of anti-inflammatories and things like that. So it, 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 I kind of managed my way through that, but that's when I started the journey of trying to build my clinic. And, you know, that was, um, I had four or five years ago, I kind of lose count a little bit, but it, it's around about that time. And we then took on a new member of staff, full-time member of staff. Um, we then took one of our part-time physios and made them more more hours in the clinic. Um, because of the, we've kind of built this clinic over 15 years prior to this, we kind of just utilized our database and we just told people we know a new physio here. And suddenly within two, three weeks that that physio was full. And I realized, okay, there's obviously a need here. And I was the bottleneck. There was a big epiphany moment again. Like I was just holding the clinic back by being not having enough hours in the, in, in the clinic. And so we got them busy and then we hired them the next one. And the same thing happened with that physio. Um, so we didn't actually, actually need any external marketing or anything like that. We didn't do anything different apart from starting to nurture them via email and you know doing things differently in our clinic. So we changed a bit of how we operated in the clinic. Um, just in terms of how we nurture our patients and things like that. And then, you know, that physio became busy too. Um, and so we added a third one. Yeah. <laughs> and so on. Before you tell us about the next one, in that you're highlighting the two biggest risk factors that if you're in the game of owning a practice or even any small business for long enough, you will come across, but you'll be in denial until that point. But it's like, I remember when I first set up my first clinic, I used to listen. I've told him this. He joined me on a conversation a while ago, Paul Wright in Australia, and I used to listen to him in the car. And he would tell me about how his clinic was in a leisure centre and mine were always in leisure centres. And one day the leisure centre closed, literally overnight. And I've already told you, the same happened to me. One of your biggest liabilities is if you haven't got control of that space, is your landlord making decisions that really affect the entirety of your of your business. And uh, again, it counted to you. So we've now got three people. <laughs> it's happened to of course, it's happened to many, many more. But so many practice owners are in denial of that risk and having a plan B in place. Yeah. Until it happens to them and then it's panic stations. That's it. I mean, that's that's the one of the big things, isn't it? Like, you know, being in control of our own premises has made a difference. I don't think it's necessarily 100% necessary to own all your clinics. But I think when you're inside, if you have a lease in place, then that gives you a lot of power. If you're kind of inside somebody else's business, that leaves you vulnerable, I think. You know, like if you're in, inside a leisure center, for instance, then you are at the behest of them um, often. Yeah, and it's having a plan B in place. It's knowing who are you going to telephone. So if you have, if you are in the lease position, it's just knowing who are you going to telephone if that happens. So after it occurred to me, I did then have, right, this is what will occur if it ever, you know, if it happens to any of the, of the other sites, I knew exactly yeah, yeah. What, the, what the, I'd mitigated the risk. It could still happen, but I knew the action I was going to take. Yeah. The other thing that you highlight that most people are in denial about is that they are the greatest liability to their own business. And you describe how, you know, after the lease, you then had the wake up call that, hang on a minute, I'm a liability with my health. I'm a liability because I'm a bottleneck and holding on too tightly here. Sure. You didn't actually have a business. You had a job. Yeah. And then we're needing to shift to a mindset of, right, I'm going to be a business owner. That's it. And then, so there is that mindset shift and, you know, you know whether that's clinically that you think that you're the only person that can look after your patients as good as you can, you can. That's a one bottleneck. The second thing is thinking that you 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 have to remain small because you don't have the power within you to grow your team. 
you know, there's so many things that go into that mindset of, of, of being a, that job to being a business person. And, and I think that that took a, took a bit of work. I think for every period I've, I've noticed that there's been a change in me. There's been a period of uncomfortableness and, but I now look forward to that because I, when I know that's happening, I know that I'm growing and I know that the good things are coming at the end of it because I've been through it a few times now. Um, but that, you know, that it, it is a definitely a mindset thing. Um, but once you can get over yourself um, and get your mind out of, of that, that fixed mindset and think, well, what if, what would that look like? And where would I be where, where, where this actually happens naturally? And, you know, where you have a bit more time to yourself, you have a little bit more time to run the business, you have time to look after your patients, but also the other staff and, and what does that look like? And then you just reverse engineer the steps. Mm-hmm. It's a lot simpler than, than I think people realize, you know, it's, it's about being able to picture yourself somewhere. And then, you know, recently, you know, I've, I've, I've had a big mindset shift and I thought I wanted a picture that I had in my head. Um, but then I realized halfway through getting into that growth phase, that I actually wanted more than that. Um, and so because I've seen, you, you see what the next level looks like. And then you realize that you were actually so limited in your mindset that you need to open up more to actually accept what's going on further down the line. And but that is actually the destination you're meant to be at, which is yeah, it's, it's mind blowing. Really, it's, it's so cool. Well, I think it's I think it's also this desire for perfectionism is sometimes an issue. And so I'll give a little example here, Ravi, in that my son wanted to he likes to skateboard and he wanted to learn how to do these drop ins. Now, yeah. now I'm doing this, and how many times has he fallen over trying to learn to do it? Uh, and start off you learn on a tiny ramp and then of course you get up higher and higher until you're dropping off terrifying heights but of course you're going to fall over what i've admired observing the process is his commitment is he's determined he's going to learn skateboard and he was determined he was going to learn to do this drop in so he just accepted a few bumps and bruises and grazes along the way because and not given up <laughs> i think that's exactly what you're describing it's like once you know what your destination is you can reverse engineer it you can plan it but you've got to have that commitment of knowing you're going to get there and that there might be a few bumps and bruises on the way because you've never done it before. Absolutely. And I think um, I think you have to accept that. And also, if you have that strive for perfectionism, don't let that hold you back either. You know, you've you know, it's, you just got to start. You've got to start somewhere. And starting something, it doesn't have to be 100% perfect. It just has to be better than what you're doing right now. And so, you know, you can mould and change with it. And so, you know, uh, in the past, and probably still to a certain degree, I, I strive for perfection myself. I want everything to be just right before I put it out to the world. And and then what a mentor told me was that, well, you know, 80% of what you think is, is good is actually great. And you put that out there and it actually works. And then you can build on those 80% to 100% over time. You just got to get going with it. Because they're not getting going with it, waiting for perfectionism means you're not actually starting. And then you get two years down the line, you've done nothing about it. Yeah, and you're never going to learn to ride a bike until you start pedaling. That's it. <laughs> <There are. laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> right. So we left off where you've got to the third team member joining you, where you'd filled number one and two by communicating regularly with your database and telling them what you did. It's absolutely amazing, isn't it? But, you know, like I realized that this overnight success came on me providing a good service over 15 years. Um, and so the power of your database is, is massive uh, for sure. And yeah, so we added a, a third member of staff when one of our part-time members left. Um, 
and then everything was going quite well and everything was going quite smooth and and um we just needed to add more more team members i guess so we we started looking for another team member and at the same time you know we're now up to like a couple of years ago 18 months ago um and started to seeing some changes obviously we haven't had a lot of uncertainty um in the financial areas and the world and everything like that which leads to a lot of uns- um, uh, uncertainty a uh, lot of uh, you know lack of belief in people's own finances and worried about things and and so i was worried that we were going to start to suffer as a clinic because of this and so the next step for us was then to try to to do more and provide more quality and, and at the same time i also wanted to make sure that we we had some consistent numbers in terms of new patients coming through the door because we're quite aware of our numbers we know what goes out we know the amount of people have a discharge we know the, the amount of people we need to bring in to keep the list busy. And so we bring in another member of staff, although we had some clients for that person, I wanted to make sure that they could actually be busy and, and build that list relatively smoothly. And so we started doing things like Google Ads. But I mean, that came, came you know four years down the line from when we started to really grow the business. And at this stage, we'd already doubled the turnover, nearly tripled the turnover of the business. Um, and now... We are still seeing growth, even though we are in these uncertain times, just because we are building on the nurturing of the clients that we already do so well, to a little bit of the Google ads to try to sprinkle a little bit more on top. And then also educating our, our, our team to, to, to do, deliver more quality within the, the therapy sessions. Um, what you're describing there, Ovi, is you've not rested on your laurels. You've really taken the time out with the team to make sure you understand what the value is that your practice serves. Your clients. Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of the, the, the clinicians, you know, I think uh, a lot of people when they first come into private practice, they're, they're quite un, underconfident in themselves. They don't feel, um, they, they don't feel like that professional should, I think. That's the, probably the best thing to put it. So the first thing we do is we teach them how to be a professional, as in we tell them you are a professional and you have got skills. You have spent a long time educating yourself just to get to this point. You are an expert. So behave like one. You know, trust yourself, trust your judgment, trust the advice that you're giving your patients, but you you need to be confident in, in what you're doing with them. And so that's a huge kind of um, mindset shift that we work with them on and, and we nurture that quite closely and we continuously have steps in place to make sure that that happens. You know, we, we have um, a lot of feedback from our clients. We have, a, you know, every Friday we do like a thing on the clinic where we talk about wins on our communication channel and we have a 10 out of 10 re- review by just about everybody in the team every single week and we highlight their wins and build them up and you know when they come to me with a clinical question I say well what do you think you know like, what's your mind already told you and then 90% of the time they're already where they need to be and so you're kind of just reinforcing the fact that they their clinical judgment is good and they have the training necessary to do this job really really well and so but that's a that's a big thing um, I'm so so surprised at how underconfident physios can be when they when they they come into private practice because they just don't think they're very good. They just don't think they have much value to give. And and um, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a big part of, part of what we do and why we we have such a nice clinic to work in because we we work really well with with our patients. Uh, sorry, our, our physios to, to to get them to a place where they're happy. And I absolutely agree with you, Ovi, how important this is because. We're at the end of the day trying to instill confidence in the in the community, in the population, in the patients, in the clients, the people that come to see you from help for help. You want to give them physical confidence 
in their body, yep. emotional confidence in their potential. But if you don't have it, how are you ever going to transfer it? That's it. Exactly. So the belief has to come from, from that point of view, um, for sure. And then, you know, then you can work on technical skills if they need it. But most of the time, they already know that bit. Um, and I so often think we've got to a point now where we're just commoditizing people. You sort of end up on this health carousel where you go around and you've, if, you're, if you are in the patient's seat, you've lost control of your journey. And every now and again, rather like one of those 1940s films or whatever, it'll flicker and, oh, something will happen, but then you're off on the carousel again. And um, I know you're very keen that you're making sure that as you're growing your practice and you are expanding, that you keep the element of care. So it's not just about doing two, it's keeping the care between the clinician and the client. And you're describing very much how conscious you are as the owner of also giving that care and confidence to your team so that they can impart it onto the people that they're serving. For sure. I think, you know, in essence, it's a concept that I call world-class care. So that, that's kind of what we we start off as a headline. And, and so I understand there's lots of things that go into that world-class care. And so for me, it means that my patients need to be looked after. When I say my patients, I mean all of the people that are underneath me and all my staff, that we need to look after them really well. And so we do that by making sure we have regular training sessions, talk about, edu you know, we have, um, you know, bi-weekly CBD sessions. We have uh, talks, little, you know, water cooler moments. We talk about patients and stuff. We also have like a, a, an annual, almost like a conference, a one-day conference where we bring our best work, CBD work, into one topic. We leave the clinic and we have a day outside and we kind of nurture that evidence base. So we understand what we do really well as a clinic and we try to nurture and do more of that and shore things up. Um, so that's the really exciting. But we make sure that we do uh, as much of it as evidence-based as we can and try to get the best results we can for our patients. So we have to nurture our therapists to be able to do that side of things. The other thing is actually how do you care for your patients? And, and you know, caring for patients is more than just delivering a treatment. And so it's understanding that person and where they come from and where they want to be, but also everything in between. So it's almost like that, you know, like there's a lot of uh, controversy, I guess, with biopsychosocial and biomechanical and all these things. And it's, it's such a, you know, it, it has to be a mix of everything. And, and being good at your job means that you can navigate both those worlds and, and bring what that person needs um, at any point in, in their journey. But understanding, you know, their A to B, and trying to help them and coach them in that time that you're delivering your treatments at the same time. And so that's another thing we work a lot on, um, knowing that we, we don't want to underserve people, we don't want to overserve people, but we'd have to meet them where they are and then give them what they need in their journey. And so one person coming into our clinic gets a whole different setup to the next person. Um, what you're describing is protecting the human to human relationship and that your team are serving the individual in front of them rather than the journal on the shelf. Exactly. You know, the, the days where somebody comes in with a Achilles and you give them some heel races is gone, you know, in my book. And that's that we, we don't accept that here. You know, it's, it's a case of figuring out all the little nitty gritty bits. And so we're quite lucky because the whole team are, are a little bit nerdy about these things. So we'd like the nitty-gritty bits, we'd like the details, we'd like the little things that, that make a big difference to the people and when you put them all together. And so, yeah, highly individualized care is, is a, a cornerstone of what we do. Um, 
So one of your, well, not one of, your next project where so many people are panicking about recruitment and how to recruit, <laughs> you are taking your team to multiply from, well, I'm not sure what the numbers are in terms of going from, <laughs> going from four to 40 quite, but you're absolutely got huge expansion plans where so many people at the moment are panicking about how to recruit. You're going out there and saying, we can do this. and Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a, it's a tremendously exciting time for me, but you know, it's it's a, a case of like, no, we do something special in our clinic. Um, we've worked on it, and we we as a team, we know what we're doing. And um, my thought now is that I wanted to expand that, and I wanted to do more. So there's two ways you can do that. One, you can open another site, find a bunch of physios, and invest loads of money in the premises and everything like that, and and start your your second clinic. Um, or you can do what I've done, which is start looking for clinics I can buy that already has a lot of the good things in place that we can then take over and mold over time. So, um, you know, I'm currently looking into buying, well, I started off looking for that one clinic, um, but then you have conversations over time. And then before you know it, everything's happening at the same time. And, and as I was explaining to you earlier, um, you know, there's there's now three clinics um, that we're looking at to, to complete on um, before Christmas. So we're going to go from what is now seven members of staff um, to well over 20 <laughs> um, in, in a very short period of time. And so, and so, you know, our focus now is is taking that care a little bit further. Like, how can we nurture those two key facets of patients and therapists and the other staff in our clinic, making sure that they're all moving together in, in the right direction and growing and becoming who they want to be but then making sure that that can happen over several sites. And the quality of that is really, really important. Um, you know, I'd, I would never have an envisage of, of me having, you know, 30, 40 clinics. I don't think you can necessarily keep the quality in, in that journey um, because the, I need to have oversight to make sure that all those little facets are still happening at every level in the organization. And so it's making sure that the operational side of things is working as well as it could be to enable the therapists to do their job really well. And so that the patients have the best experience that they can have within our clinics. So yeah, it's a big step. Um, lots of moving parts at the moment. Uh, but you know, over the over the next uh, couple of months, it's gonna hugely change what I do as a business owner. So currently for going from part-time physio, part-time business owner to becoming even less part-time physio, um, to much more of a business owner and 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 uh, you know, it's it's a journey that I've embraced. Um, it's not like I've fallen out with physio and I don't want to be a physio anymore. Um, it's just as the team has grown, as my role has molded and changed, I've had to adapt with it. And my mindset has had to change as well. So when I say all my patients, I'm going to have a lot more patients to look after in the future. Um, but it's it's just making sure that, um, you know, what we do can have an impact on, on a greater amount of people. Uh, but the second point of it is, is in this in certain times that we have, I think being in a, in a group scenario, um, can actually help us. I think the bigger you are um, to a certain point, you are more resilient to change. Um, and so you can adapt better if you're part of an organization because you can learn from every part of that organization. You can take good bits from each one. You can build something that's bigger and better and probably more resilient financially as well because you can combine some of the costs um, and, and save some money and make the clinics more robust um, that way too. So there's lots to it. 
One of the other risks that clinic owners face is growth far too fast. I mean, many clinic owners come from a sporting background, very competitive mindset and want to grow really, really fast. And it's not just clinic owners, it's many small business owners as well and then stumble because they haven't got their ducks in order and their first site operating well. So they haven't got the template ready for expansion. And just listening to you there, you've 20 years of getting your cookie cutter correct. You know, I, I wouldn't even call it a cookie cutter because that's completely the opposite of what I think as a philosophy in life. You know, I don't think there is a cookie cutter, cutter approach. I think there's a very highly individualized approach to life. I think life is complex and therefore situations are complex and, and therefore you need to deal with it in a complex way. But yeah, certainly 20 years of experience uh, observed both successes and failures in that time. I've not told you about the clinic that I opened that I had to close. You know, it's it's... It's one of those things I've, you know, in 20 years, there's so many things that have happened. I've learned so much from it. I think I'm now ready to take that next step. And and even then, you know, you have doubts in your mind. Can you do this? And um, like I mentioned, I had a vision of, I wanted another two or three clinics. And um, I started talking to people, understanding the process of buying a clinic, which is a whole different area that you never get taught anything about. So I had a really, really good mentor there. Um, and once you start learning it and you understand the process and you can see the future, you think, well, well, maybe two or three is too small a picture. Maybe five or six is the right number. And so I don't know what that looks like, but I know when the quality starts to go from the process, that's when I know that I'm finished. Um, so, you know, at the moment, we're going to be four businesses um, under one umbrella, um, if you like. And it might be that we add one or two more. We're looking for somebody with quality. We're looking for somebody with a nice community-based clinic um, that has usually some legacy. Um, all of the clinics that we're, we are, are looking at have 20 years plus worth of legacy. Um, in this, they have an established client base and loyal to them. They provide good quality care already. Um, but the business owners are now looking for uh, an exit or um, something else. Some of them are fatigued from running their own business and they just want to be a physio again. They're kind of going full circle with themselves. Some people are wanting to retire. So, you know, that looks very different for each one of the the, the kind of the acquisitions that we're making. Um, but again, you know, this is what I do as a physio. I, I work with people to find their solutions. And this is exactly the same. It's just on a different um, different ballpark. Instead of playing basketball, I'm playing ice hockey over here, but I'm still trying to score. So it's, it's yeah, it's interesting. Mm, so you're not clearly going back to Norway as you thought you were 20 some years ago <laughs> no that that ship has finally sailed um you know I've got two young lovely uh, girls they're 14 and 10 now um and it's amazing watching them grow up and and so you know they are my driving force really behind all of this you know um I, I think you think I want to build something that's that's not just for me I want to build something that's for my family too and and so the, the, this is the kind of the, the driving force behind me they make me as good as I am today and and you know, between my wife and my two kids, that's that's my world, and and uh, and yeah, this is all for them, really. <laughs> <laughs> is your mum still in Norway? Does she laugh that you got? Yeah, yeah. You my mum, my dad, my I've got a brother, two sisters, uh, and they're all still in Norway, and my grandparents and stuff, stuff like that. So, yeah, they, they they miss me and I miss them, but you know, they they got used to me being over here now. It's been twenty seven, twenty eight years, so. <laughs> <laughs> So again, but just an example of how you've adapted, how life changed. You had a plan, and the plan evolved. The plan changed. It does. That's it. You know, like I said, com- life is complex. You can't 
foresee everything that happens to you. And if you think you can stop all of that, you just, you've got to just be adaptable. I think, you know, it's like Charles Darwin said, you know, it's not the strongest of the species, it's the most adaptable of the species that wins, you know, so it's, it's about being resilient to change and but also being adaptable. Um, that, that's, the, that's the key, I think, in, in every facet of life. So what are your top few tips, Obi, to the, to the listeners who are perhaps in the early days of starting their own practice and inspired about hearing your journey and, and your success as a business owner? I think, you know, the biggest thing is, is start with the end in mind. So think about, you know, it might not be the final end, but it might be a painted picture. So a painted picture of what your life or what your clinic is going to look like in five years' time. And usually picture not just what the clinic looks like, picture what your team looks like, picture what your home is going to look like and what your family are going to be doing and all those things. You have to have that mental imagery to know where you're actually going to. I think having that goal is a, is a huge driver um, because then you can also put in the, the steps necessary to get to that point. So if it means having, you want two more full-time members of staff, you want a receptionist, you want a bigger premises with a gym space in it, then picture that, but think to yourself, what do I need to have to actually get that? Well, I need to have certain amounts of income to be able to afford that those premises, but I also need to nurture my clinic, clinic so that I have enough patients to serve those two other physios that are working for me too. And then everything else just falls into place because you've got to fit every single part that's necessary to drive that next part of the goal. But if you you have to kind of reverse engineer that. Because if you start at the beginning, going, well, I'm going to get patients, but why? Why are you doing that? You know, why do you need another 50 patients? You can only see 40 a week. So why do you need 50? It's, you know, it's, it all depends on where they want to be um, to me. So setting the, the goal uh, is certainly one part of it. Two is get your mind in the right place. Realize that none of this comes without hard work. And so you've got to be willing to, to put in the graft to actually achieve that goal. Um, but if you, if you have the graft and you have the vision, then you are going to be successful. The third bit, and this is probably the most important one, and I think we can probably all the slides to this one, is get out in your own way. So make sure that when you, you're growing, that you find somebody that can do the stuff that you don't really want to do so that you're not trying to do everything in the clinic. You're not trying to do everything for the business. Find somebody to help you because together as a team, even if they're freelancers, they will help you on your way quicker. And so if you're trying to do everything, it's not going to happen very quickly. You might not get there at all because once you have that team in place, you can then start to achieve things much quicker because it's not just you who's treating the patients, running the social media, ringing up patients and you know doing the marketing and speaking to, to, to other running clubs and things like that. There's so many things that you need to do to have a successful clinic. And you can't do it all. And yeah, it's that, that those are kind of my three big tips. I think they're quite useful. Wonderful. Thank you very much for your time and for joining me today. Bye.